Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Roklowski. Hey, I'm Serge. I use he him pronouns. I'm Chris. I use gender neutral pronouns such as they them. So this is uh, Libra Lounge, the COVID nineteen exhausted hosts edition. Uh, <laughs> Not false. <laughs> How are you doing, Chris? Well, exhausted, as you said. Um, I feel like. I am not, I have not been as productive as I usually have been over the last month, though I've been picking back up again. But even still, um, you know, yesterday was, yesterday did some gardening and uh, that's set up. But today, I, um, I don't know, today was a little bit hard. Uh, what, what's, what's going on with you? Well, um, so I got up and went to, I have, I have my laptop and I have my, uh, gaming computer which i use uh it's my desktop so i also use it for example when i'm editing the show so i went to my desktop um and pressed a key and it was crunchy with crumbs and so i decided at seven in the morning i'm gonna clean my keyboard you you didn't opt for the the creamy edition of keyboards you went for crunchy yeah crunchy crunchy uh you know um yeah i'm not going any further with that uh, so, <laughs> so I, I, I take out all the keys and I have my key, a special key remover and the whole thing. I clean each key off individually and with Windex and I have a whole thing. And then as I put one of the keys back, uh, the key, um, the stabilizer broke and I don't have a spare. And I realized that I really can't use this keyboard anymore. And so I t- decided to take a break and uh, go on the Fediverse, and my Mastodon instance was broken, and uh, it took me over an hour to fix the Mastodon instance, and I had to order a new keyboard, and the only other keyboard I had was in the closet, and it's an old PS2 keyboard, and it's terrible. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, that killed most of the productivity for today. Um, and then you hopped on Mumble, and we, we immediately started chatting, right? Yeah, so, well, so, you know, we use Mumble to record the show, and we started talking, and then my headset broke. Yeah, I'd actually forgotten that. Thanks for reminding me. So, in <laughs> fact, I probably sound worse than usual because I'm on a wireless headset while a new headset and keyboard are coming in the mail because, of course, with COVID-19 and me being in New York City, I can't really just go out and get replacement things i have to order them online and they're not essential you know they're not essential goods nobody will die if they don't have a new keyboard so i don't expect it i don't expect to get a new keyboard anytime soon and i really need a new a new headset now uh in addition to this one because this one is not good for recording so yeah that's uh that's pretty much been my my day other than some of the work we've been doing which you know i guess we might talk about either this time or some other time. But um, I think we, we were talking about this article, and we should share it with uh, with our friends here. With our, with our, I don't like seeing the audience, man. That sounds so lame. Like, like I, cause I feel like we're on stage, and that's not how this feels to me. Like, this feels very, you know, audio 
especially radio feels very intimate. So I don't think of like when I think of you know somebody who's listening, it's like the one person who's listening. I don't think about a collection. Anyway, we were talking about this article that I sent you because uh, it was on Slashdot, and it was about the the idea of the metaverse. And are we are we living in the metaverse? And I thought you might want to might might want to riff on that. Well, um, yeah. So, um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say very briefly that the, actually that this this became this actually you know tied in with something. One of the reasons why I was kind of emotionally destroyed is uh, um, you know, and 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 I I don't regret it. Um, there's some small chance that the person might end up. Uh, curing this i guess probably not but um i got an i got an email from a friend uh um the ex of a friend who um i guess content warning i'm about to talk about some about death um so if you're listening with kids maybe keep bear that in mind uh but uh i uh, my my i have a friend who committed suicide about close to a decade ago and uh um and he he uh he was really, really close to me. Um, and, uh, um, I'm not going to say who exactly it was in relationship to them, but, um, there was a person who contacted me who was very close to them and had some thoughts and commentary on a blog post I wrote shortly after they died. Um, and, uh, um, and, 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 and the reason why this ties in is I then ended up going and, and, and that person had known, uh, my friend, Matt, um, partly through this game called Grail that we both played, which I might have mentioned on the show before, which is like this kind of an online massively multiplayer RPG before massively multiplayer RPGs were really like a big thing. It kind of felt like the 2D Legend of Zelda that you played top down. And 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 I, me and all my friends really got into that game when I was a kid. And uh, um, it's actually how I started programming in some ways is that it had um, you could hit a button and there was this level editor and you could play it. But it was also, you know, a game that you played online with people. And, and you know, this person had met him through that. And I searched online for his name after that email. And I found other messages from people who had played that game with him. And, you know, that, that really hit home a bunch of emotional things because, um, you know, it, you know, it was these people who knew my friend through that world and, and had these experiences running around and, and talking to him, this person I had known in, in real life and in the game. Um, and, uh, and in many ways, you know, for a long time, uh, you know, I've, I've always been a fan of things like, you know, serial experiments lane and, and, and kind of cyberpunky things and stuff like that, where there's this question of identity of, you know, uh, to, to riff on a, uh, uh, don't hug me. I'm scared. It, you know, it's not you, it's your digital, you virtually real, but controlled by real you, uh, like what's the difference between your online identity and your virtual identity. And, and it's weird. Cause right now, uh, you know, amidst this pandemic, um, stuff where, you know, people who maybe previously felt like they had a hard line between their virtual representation of self and their digital representation of self, um, I don't feel like there's, you know, lines are blurring, right? You know, in, in many ways, many people may feel that the virtual presentation that they have them themselves is as real or more real than, than the one that's walking around. Uh, I don't know. That was a lot of rambling, um, but it's where my headspace is. Uh, I guess... <laughs> 
one thing that I think is is often lost in these discussions is that well, so spoilers a little bit um, for people that haven't seen Westworld, the HBO series. Um, so a lot of these discussion, a lot of these themes are discussed in um, season two of the series. Um, but I think the difference between the way I imagined the virtual world and the connection between one's virtual identity and real identity in the 90s and today is that I think I think that the 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 the, the way we're connecting our digital quote unquote digital identities is actually far more either aspirational or at least emphasizing a particular part of who we are rather than a separate us. I mean, I mean, well, so one could make an argument that, for example, if you're a parent, you know, a parent of a child, that you're never your full self with them, right? They don't need to know about, about certain adult, you know, aspects of your life just the same way that, you know, if you have a teacher or professor you know, you only see a certain part of them and, and maybe even a coworker, right? You only see a certain part of that person. But I would say that's even more amplified in um, when one has these kind of open world uh, gaming experiences. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because, you know, lines shift and blur and then they don't, right? You know, you, I think that setting down hard boundaries, uh, isn't easy and um i think that it can actually be good that people have segmented versions of themselves right you know the as you've said people have always had that right you know if you've got um if you've got somebody who is a, a as you said a teacher and then they you know go and and then play video games with their friends later or or board games they're going to act very differently or and maybe even think and present you know themselves very differently you know you know let's just talk about board games no computers whatsoever right you know that that this that distinction might be totally fine they also might be a writer of things online and and i think that people do segment themselves in ways and that that can be fine um and then occasionally you find things bleed over from space to space i'm not sure you know i guess i'm much more of a fuzzy um typist and fuzzy thinker than than maybe many other people where um i think that a lot of things end up being really blurry around the edges uh and i think that identities especially um i think that's okay i think one of the nice things about digital environments um is that um sometimes historically at least it's been possible to create an identity that is independent of your other identities and, and use it as a space to explore yourself in a way that might not have been possible or safe previously. And I guess there's this idea, um, there's this term called context collapse, where instead of having these separate segmented identities, which again, we've always had, um, suddenly you end up having a unit identity. Um, and then uh, this can be a challenge, even if, you know, if somebody who, you know, they might go out and drink 
you know, you you had this situation where you know when when Facebook appeared, um, and Facebook's kind of whole perspective is yeah, collapse everything, you know, have a have a context collapse of everything, and then suddenly people start getting tagged in photos of them drinking at a bar, and that might affect things with their employer, right? You know, so so I I guess I feel like. I would like to see a lot more freedom for people to be able to experiment with segmenting and then merging back in aspects of their identity. And I maybe feel like maybe the infrastructure we've kind of developed doesn't always accommodate that. I don't know. Does that make any sense? It it, it does make sense. When I think about um, exploration, you know, the obvious one that comes to my mind is that I ha- I know trans people who their first the first place that they could explore their gender identity was video games, mm-hmm. right? Where they could take on the the attributes, the physical attributes of the the gender that they more closely identified with, mm-hmm. and that then that the I should say then their then the physical body that they were inhabiting, yeah. you know. Um, and and I also think we see that in in other ways, you know. Uh, I will say I think especially as it re- you know relates, for example, to sexuality, we we see that online too. People are, you know, when when broken of the constraints of of their quote unquote real lives, they can explore aspects of themselves that they may not have. Um, again, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned a number of good uh, resources to view or read, and I would say Westworld is kind of Westworld season one explores those themes uh, of you know what happens when we uh, can break out of the constraints of of real life, and and I, but I also agree with you that that Facebook in particular worked really hard to collapse that simply for the purposes of, of marketing, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is that they wanted to be able to, marketing and, and influence, is that they wanted to be able to uh, generate a complete profile on who, on who you are, including all those different things. And so to them, you know, they didn't want people making six Facebook profiles, each representing a, uh, a piece of their identity. They wanted one unified marketable identity yeah um so going back to the the gender stuff and and you know i I also have a lot of friends who are who identify as transgender and you know who uh who are transgender who uh um who where games were their first opportunity to be able to explore their identity um and you know uh i've you know i've mentioned that i'm i'm non-binary i use gender neutral pronouns and uh um the you know so so uh, i mean even the introduction to this episode i I kind of give an awkward mouthful with you know i use non-binary pronouns such as they them um part of the reason for that is that uh so so like i i have there's a there was an old game called lomdamu it was one of the earliest massively multiplayer muds really like uh massively multiplayer uh games and uh um and it had uh you could choose your pronoun options and one of them was spivak which was kind of very rarely known put out there by a mathematician 
um, and it used E, M, error, blah, blah, blah. And it was just one of the options, and I think maybe even the default option, I, I forget. Um, and, you know, that really struck me like, oh, you know, what if we were going to construct a language and, you know, language is a social construct and what are the choices that we make? And one of them might be, you know, do we include gendered pronouns? Um, and, uh, the, the seeing Spivak on there felt very freeing for me, even though you could choose all these other pronoun options too. And, and for me, um, that changed a lot of my thinking and you know the i i the reason i have that mouthful of you know gender neutral pronouns such as they them is because i also know that it's really hard to work outside of the framework of what people are exposed to and and you can only push for so much at once and and i'm excited that they them is an option even though it's not really my preferred state um so i don't know you know that being able to have spaces like that to explore things and and think about things is is, I think can be really important and useful. I, I'm wondering if we want to go down the gender pronoun ra- uh, rabbit hole. Sure, sure. Because, um, you know, I've thought about this this question. I mean, so when we go to meetings in person nowadays, it's pretty common, uh, well, at least in the circles that I inhabit which is you know a lot of progressive groups for example we we um we had rory from cyper and they they are a group that announces their pronouns um the speakers do at least and um usually you just announce your pronouns right so if i say well i'm he him that doesn't speak to my gender identity that just speaks to my preferred pronouns and of course preferred pronouns can also change right so um, I might say, well, I'm he, him today, and maybe tomorrow I, I don't. Maybe I don't identify in that same way, but I don't say, well, I use masculine pronouns uh, because I think one of the ideas of the modern thinking is that pronouns aren't inherently gendered. They're they're just the pronouns that we identify with, and they they have traditional associations with gender, obviously, but gender but but pronouns are not inherently gendered. Well, I mean, what what is inherent about gender at all, right? Gender is a social construct, and uh, we still are having a choice to have these these pronouns that are thus being selected at all, right, as applied to people. And I uh, I don't think that the net effect of having gendered pronouns if you know is is all that useful um personally i don't think that and and like you know okay yes maybe you know, the pronouns re- could represent all sorts of identity things that are not just um gender but what what's gender is the primary thing that's being conveyed um i think the most common you know plurality or singularness is also one thing that's commonly conveyed and that that's a whole other topic itself but i think that um there's a lot of studies that show just how much is there um when you just how much somebody ends up pre-setting thoughts and associations just by hearing a gendered pronoun um and so so i don't know i think that um you know, again, by saying, you know, I use gender neutral pronouns such as that's that's because I'm trying to set, work within the context 
of what we have here in in our society. And I'm trying to give a hint that, you know, maybe this isn't exactly the framing I'd like, but it's the framing we have. And, and, you know, and, and I'm just trying to work with that. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts, uh, cause you said a lot of different things. Um, so, and I think I'm going to lose at least one of them. So one of the thoughts that I had was that you're right, that, that perceptions of gender identity absolutely affect, uh, uh, ideas of quality. And in fact, I ran a study in uh, my undergraduate days. I have a degree in psychology about which, which, so, so it had been already massively studied that knowing that having a, an author's name be uh, ha- having the first name of an author associated with a gender. So, you know, Jane versus John would affect a, a reader's perception of the quality of the work mm-hmm. with a negative qual- with a negative association if the author was a female at the time that was well studied and so we we did a, a variation where we had people watch um, a, a, a women's sports team playing a game for a few minutes and then and then basically saw if there was an effect on their perceptions and we had a control group where we just where we didn't uh we didn't give them the the video or we either had it or another video anyway we did a bunch of variants and we absolutely showed that um that this that this bias is real and uh and we and we could adjust it somewhat by by showing women's sports teams which was a weird result but um and then there was something else you said and i can't remember what it is but it was important um well, can you? Um, I'm I'm not sure because as you said, I, I I said a bunch of things, but yeah, I, it was hard I, to keep track. <laughs> but um, I have something I can follow up on with that that kind of builds on that. Um, okay. Um, the I I also want to acknowledge that um, gender is something at least something that um, I can address as a as a topic, and uh, um, there, there's a lot more. You know, there there are other there are all sorts of perceptions that people end up getting, right? Of course, you know, like people have enormous perceptions based off of whether or not a name sounds, uh, you know, sounds like it's of an African descent, you know, and skin tone and all sorts of things like that. Um, and and I'm also aware of how how much how what limited effects that people have to be able to um, affect some uh, some of those things or even desire right and I'm and I'm also limited in how much of experiences I can speak to but I I think that um, so I'm gonna say the the first the first memory I have um, and the first uh, and, and I don't think it was meant as a form of ridicule but the first memory I have, is um, being asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a girl. And my mom and my sister thought this was very funny, and they dressed me up in her dress. And there's a picture of that, and that's the first memory I have any association with. And I don't even remember if I – I don't know if I actually remember that myself or if it's that the story was told so much that I have this memory kind of implanted there. But it's like, you know, kind of – and and I think it was always portrayed in this kind of friendly fashion – but in another sense, it's also kind of. Um, uh, but I, I still kind of felt ashamed when I heard that story, um, and as if I it was you know kind of ridiculous you know. And I I um, 
And I think that right now I'm playing uh, a game. You know, I've mentioned this before. It's a proprietary game, but I'm playing a game called Animal Crossing. And one of the interesting decisions that they made in there is they, when when you start up your character, they say, and this is a departure from previous games, they say, choose your style. And they just show two characters with, you know, kind of a masculine and feminine hairstyle. And that's all the gender selection there is in the game. Other than that, you're able to wear any clothes, you're able to do whatever, and there's and everything's open to you. And and that feels very liberating when playing the game, that there there aren't those constraints, which there were previously. And previously they made a decision, um, which was, you know, the contemporary decisions that when once you made that initial selection, that it was a, a very hard set thing, you couldn't change it, and that it limited what choices you had available. And I think even that, you know, when I think about the systems I want to create, that's the kind of thing I want to aspire to is to have, um, is to really give people the freedom to be able to choose things about their expression and explore things about their expression and not feel ashamed for it um, and not feel like there's artificial constraints put on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of. Um, makes me feel like the thing I had in mind was really trivial compared <laughs> to what you're saying, um, because it was. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. I, I mean, I've known you for several years, and I've never heard that story before, and um, that's really um, intense. And I don't mean intense in any particular way other than just, see, that seems like a very intense um, thing, um, and it seems like it had a big impact on you emotionally. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. So, um, Nid, do you want to, do you want to say more? I don't have anything more on that topic. I just have more thoughts on digital identity. So continue. Well, okay. So, so let's, let's, before, before we jump into digital identity, we, we should do that because this is a, a software, you know, user freedom show. Um, you know, there are languages that don't have gendered pronouns and, you know, one that I studied for a while was American Sign Language. And in American Sign Language, pronouns are just physical spots. So, you know, if you want to, you point to an area and that becomes that person, uh, you know, there's no gender associated with a point, right? It's, it's, it's literally where they are in the, you know, where they are in the physical space that you're representing them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about your Spivak pronouns um, because when you, you brought that up, I, I find it challenging to pronounce them. And I did a little research on pronouns. And it turns out that so, – so English is weird, right? So we have he, him, you know, he, him, his, mm-hmm. and she, her, hers. Mm-hmm. Um. But it turns out that that Middle English, the third person singular, was hit. So it was, you know, his, hers, and hits. Hmm. Um, And I was thinking, like, well, that's much easier to pronounce um, than the Spivak version, which I believe is E. E, Yeah, it's E. um, Yeah, it's E. Air, um, uh, M. Well, it's E M air, and uh, and you're right. It's it's. So I'm not saying Spivak. So so I want to make it something clear. I, I actually don't think Spivak is 
necessarily also a panacea. I just think that it was a really interesting and, and wonderful thing to see somebody, you know, produce this thing that's, you know, a singular gender neutral pronoun that you could just apply everywhere by default. And I mean, I actually have a really bad memory. But, but uh, well, I want to kind of, oh, sorry, you're going to talk about your memory now. Now I feel bad again. Oh, no, no worries. I, I, I was just going to say, actually, I mean, I have a really bad memory in, in some ways. Uh, um, <laughs> actually, the other way I learned to program is that I failed the states and capitals test, I think, three or four times that I wrote a program in QBasic to teach me, teach me um, states and capitals so I would finally pass. Uh, but the, uh, um, but you built, a, I mean, I've done that too, but it's like, it's like building a robot to teach you. I, I'm aware. I'm aware. Uh, but the uh, um, the the other aspect of that is um, where was I going? Uh, Sorry. The, well, the the oh right about memorization. Yeah, memory. Um, my memory is very bad, um, and uh, I, I and I'm really bad, especially at, at things that are associative. I, I have name face blindness. So it's, it's when people say, you know, what's what's your pronoun? That's an additional thing I have to put into that box along with face and name, and I and I'm always afraid I'm going to fail at it. Um, and because I I already fail at face and name, um, and and so I don't know. I it's that that doesn't mean I don't try. Absolutely, I'm trying. You know, for people, but but that it's it to me. It's also kind of nice that you know to downplay the the importance. And Spivox just one example of a system we could use to downplay it. There are other alternate gender-neutral pronouns uh, that maybe aren't so vowel-y, uh, and those are fine too. Well, I was going to say, I wanted to go to continue on and, and say that the 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 other words we have um, are like, for example, this, and this and hit are connected. Mm. Um, but... Um, I also have name, name and face blindness and uh, and ADHD and memory problems. Mm -hmm. uh, so you and I are really similar in, in a lot of those ways. Um, it, and one of the things that makes English actually easy is that we don't have um, we don't have gendered objects that don't have a that don't have a gender identifier. Uh, usually suffix, and, and in fact, gender identifier suffixes are kind of are kind of dying out, right? Like we don't we don't really use the et very very much, you know, which is which is borrowed from French. Um, and usually those things are also or like, for example, actress, you know, to sp as opposed to actor. Nowadays we would just say you know she is an actor rather than. Um, you know, she's an actress, unless, you know, unless we're trying to do it for some specific reason. Anyway, um, by the way, people can, people, there are other great podcasts on language that people can <laughs> recommend, but, um, but, but let's kind of, let's jump back into how this applies to work we do. Yeah. Which is um, the assumptions on gender in video games or in any software can absolutely have an impact. And I thought that the whole idea that you brought up about style, right? Choose your style is, is great. I mean, it's uh, because that doesn't, well, it doesn't imply anything. And, and I think that that's when we're building software generally, we should be thinking about either the flexibility of like, well, choose your own pronouns, right? If that's, if that's how it's going to be, or just, you know, getting rid of all the pronouns, uh, 
you know, in the design or getting rid of all the gender, uh, uh, you know, assumptions or other, you know, and there's a ton of cultural assumptions that we make that, uh, you know, I think, I think this gives us an opportunity to really, to really question, um, you know, just like a lot of these systems, for example, you know, a lot of, um, governments, you know, they have, uh, binary gender choices and now we're seeing some governments having gender neutral options Mm -hmm. and you know i wonder about other things that maybe you know i'm not even thinking about i'm not even aware of the way that i am uh, imposing my assumptions on someone yeah um i think there's always also a negotiation uh between people of what assumptions are and aren't correct, right? You know, we have, uh, um, it, it would be nice to believe that we could be completely logical beings, but we know that's not how we work. First of all, we, we have to be able to d- develop concepts and then we have to figure out, you know, how to map those concepts and we're going to get a lot wrong. And a lot of those concepts will be artificially constructed. Um, I guess that sounds very abstract, but you know, the, I, I, I think that, I don't know. I I actually think that this is a there's such a rich vein of a topic here that I'm afraid that if we tried to go into it, we'd never get out. We never this episode would never end because the well, the, the, uh, I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot I right. would love to talk about about identity and names, as in terms of you know even equality of like how do you see if two things are the same? But I think that actually let's hold off on that. That definitely has to be its own episode because that there's no way we can fit that in a reasonable amount of time before this thing ends. Um, but but I think that there, you're, here's what I want to say. Um, it's hard to get these things right in systems, and I don't blame all systems for not always getting it right in the past. If we're trying to figure out how to identify how to make them better for the future, um, because um, you and I, if we try to be the most progressive people that we are. If society goes well and goes in a good direction, um, we should be accused correctly of having made serious mistakes because we couldn't see it from the vantage point that we're at right now. And that's not to excuse us, you know, if looking back at like, you know, if I'm making a mistake right now, I'm not saying, you know, like, like, you know, oh, you know, it's also not to excuse a past of like racism and sexism and bigotry and et cetera. Um, but I think that I'm more interested in trying to learn about how to build a better tomorrow um, than I am in accusations about mistakes from the past that are that are easier to see in hindsight. We should do a lot of digging about that type of stuff, but I'm really interested in if we're designing systems right now, what do we understand? What do we know? How can we better accommodate? And how can we listen to people to help better accommodate people from their experiences? And I don't know. Yeah, I think these are these are hard these are hard questions because what I, where I was going with what I was saying earlier was that it's it's not just but what I was trying to get to was that you know we have a we have a gender neutral singular pronoun in english you know we have it but it 
in our vernacular is a dehumanizing um, pronoun, right? You don't, you don't, you only use it for inanimate objects. You, people used to use it for animals and even that's kind of frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, and that's a, and that's an Englishism, right? Because there are other languages in which those assumptions don't hold true. And that, that ties very much into what you then just said, which is, you know, how do we listen to people? How do we break the, some of those assumptions? And, and look, it doesn't matter all that much when we're talking about, you know, a music player or even, you know, you know or an email client necessarily. Um, but it, it makes a big difference if we're talking about building social network software. Mm-hmm. Um, things, things that have, or, or we're trying to classify people, right? We're building, you know, we're building a system that classifies people based on this or that, especially in a way that they could be interacting with each other. I think that's where we do need to be sensitive. I don't have an answer of how we, of how we listen to people. I mean, we can, other than, you know, being open to, to hearing, um, because it can also be challenging when you have so many when you have limited resources and so many different people that would like you to to design things in a certain way it can be it can be very challenging it's a good challenge but it it can be very difficult to to achieve well it's especially good if you can put stuff in your software to put the tools in the hands of users so that they can help you do the right thing um and i think that that actually ties into i I don't know how long we want to go on this episode but I, I I think that there's something there about um, you know now that we've I mean, we've put down a lot about some of the challenges that we've experienced and what and what we'd like to do in the present. But what I'm really especially where my mind is always at is what can we do for the future? And when we're talking about building social systems moving towards the future, um, you know, and I'm I'm sometimes accused of being a little bit too sci-fi-ish here, um, maybe rightly so. Um, but I, I like to think about what can we do to to put tools directly in users' hands, and and what does that mean for building a social system? Um, so I don't know. Do we do we want to talk aspirationally about where where we think things could go in in these types of things, or is that is that just too far out there? Yeah, I mean, I, I, no, I don't think it's too far out there. I, I'm I'm curious about specifically what you. I mean, I'm assuming based on the the fact that we've worked together and we've talked about things, some of this on the podcast and. We've talked about some of this in, in conferences and things that you're going to talk about pet names. I'm just guessing, but maybe I could, I could be wrong. Uh, I, I think that, and yeah, mm-hmm. you should finish. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that, you know, pet names, but also, and, and, and I actually think that there's an inherent conflict in the pet name system with self uh, identity. And that's, and that's a challenge that you and I have discussed privately, which is, uh, well, well, I'll let you go there. Um, but also, what other types of identifiers can we use other than simple textual ones? Yeah, so I think I would like to do an entire episode on names and pet names. Uh, so let's because I, th- I feel like it's it is long enough that it could be an hour. Um, like like there's and that's not to say that pet names are that confusing. It's just that there's so much to explore with the idea of names that I'd really like to give it time. Um, but you're right that that's that's one component that I think is really important, and one of the things that I think is you know kind of digging 
around in uh, like computer science literature to see what what helps us better address the problems of what we we really want to to solve today. I think pet names is one of those things. But I want to I want to be a little bit more imaginative at this moment and think about because I feel like maybe this amount of time we have left is better suited for some imagination and and think about you know um, one of the reasons that I've kind of framed sprightly as being something that it has not achieved yet, um, except for in some kind of weird ways uh, of being, you know, like we're going to bring a game to a distributed social network. And you can see the biases that I've had in my history, in my youth and et cetera, um, in, in terms of that, that idea that, um, there isn't such a big distinction between games and social networks. We're seeing that a lot right now in, I mean, with, you know, and I keep going back to a proprietary game, but there's been a lot of articles recently about that in Animal Crossing. We, I should hand it over to you because we, you just sent me one earlier about that. Do you want to explain what that was? I mean, yeah. So, so um, Animal Crossing is this weird, so I've not played Animal Crossing. Um, There, I have, I have some, um, I, I have no issue with the game's goals, but man, I do not like the way the game looks. Uh, but people are using it to as a forum for social protest, and I th- I think my understanding is, and, and I could be wrong, that uh, that China has banned. I don't think they banned the use, but I think they banned the sale of. Animal Crossing, or it's something along those lines. I don't have the article in front of me. I apologize. Um, but I know that you're a big fan of Animal Crossing, and, and I know a lot of other people are. It's 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 like Nintendo's like number one selling game right now. It, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's not the game that really matters to me at the moment. It's the the idea, but the way it's being used. Yeah, it's the way that it's being used as a social network. Like that's what's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Is that it's a social network. Is that it, you're you're connecting to other people, going over to their space, exploring their space, and uh, you have very limited tools that you can use to be able to build and explore and etc. But it does explore some, and you can see how much because of people feeling trapped in the COVID nineteen crisis that people are really embracing the tools that have been handed them. Um, and I think there's a lot more that we could do, right? Um, I, I, you know, the, uh, and look, you can see the biases of this in, in my work going back, a, you know, a long way. Um, the Liberated Pixel Cup project we did looks a lot like Grail or a top-down 2D Zelda for, for that reason, is that I think that you want to be able to have um, a collaboration space where it's easy enough to have a visually distinct set of things that people can combine and add to. Um, and we right now, um, don't have anything like that in the free software space. That's kind of a coherent project that lets people kind of visit each other. Um, that kind of gives people a space to collaborate. That's not just textual, um, and other kind of audio visual things that really feels like a space where you're walking together, um, and where you can build things and say, like, come to my space and like, see, this kind of things that I've built where, you know, you and your friends should be able to build um, a kind of a life together to explore. Um, I know I'm really rambling here, but 
that's I'm I'm gonna pull it back to Matt. Um my friend Matt uh made one of the things I only found out about after his death is that he made a card game in Grail, which is like a trading card game that you could play. Um because the game gave you the, the ability to add to it, um, the ability to program the game. And uh, he, and like, I never even knew that he learned to program at all. Um, and he added this to one of the servers. And I think that that's really cool and empowering. And the kind of things that I want to be able to see is where, um, you know, a few weeks ago I had our family vacation was canceled, but I had, you know, my family members come over and, you know, visit my island in the game. And we were talking on the phone and it felt like um, a, a, you know, like a, a reunion. Um, I think that there's, if we don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And uh, I actually see Animal Crossing as a not very good version of these things. Nintendo has a lot of restrictions of what things you can do and visit each other for for good reasons because they're trying to run, you know, an entertainment empire and they've really locked down just how much you can collaborate together. But if we had something that we were intending to hand to users, um I think there's a lot more that we can do. I don't know. Yep. All right, well, thanks everyone for the <laughs> uh- <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I no. I, I. I. There's just so much. There's so much there, um, and there's you know, I don't. I don't know how we even begin to 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 take that apart. Um, that's so. When I said goodbye, that wasn't a you know that wasn't a knock against you. It was more like, okay, well, the scholars will be studying this for uh, the next decade, and well, they'll certainly you know, be I studying just, this moment. Yeah, and the way that it's impacting. The way that people change their relationships with each other. Yeah, I I, I agree, and I mean I, I know for myself, um, there's another aspect to these games. I think that is sometimes lost when people think about games, which is um, I'm I call it like the sitcom, but I actually I specifically call it the Cheers effect. So Cheers was this American sitcom in the 1980s, um, and then I guess in the the early 90s, and the the tagline was where everybody knows your name. It was about, it was about a um, a bar, you know, a bar slash pub in Boston where everybody knows your name, and um, at the time, you know, you'd watch it and it felt very much like you were part of this, you know, this community of these people and you know everybody knew each other and everybody greeted one another and there's definitely an element of that that you know games good games like you know stardew valley and i guess animal crossing and muds that i've played on can feel like that it's it's familiar um another game that i've played that isn't as social is um saints row 4 and even saints row 4 even though it's a dystopian um world has an element of like yeah well it's the same and i know where everything is and you know there um, there are some free software games i think we can give credit to that i mean there's a lot of cultural attachment to the the in jokes of nethack for instance right and that that mm -hmm. world as you explore it starts to feel familiar um and similarly even wesnoth i think they're you know i mean by pulling into the classic fantasy tropes there's some room for 
cultural criticism, but I think that there's a lot of nice things that they've done for building out um, a comfortable world there. And and so I don't know, are, is world building what you meant kind of there? No, I don't mean world building. I mean familiarity. The what? So what? what what's your distinction there? Um, I think you can do world building that doesn't feel so. Um, in the in the popular, you know, in the pop, pardon me, in the popular genre, uh, you know, Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Tolkien doesn't feel familiar. It doesn't. There are you know, it, it not no not 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 when you actually read it. It doesn't not for me. Uh, I mean, if you reread it, sure. But what about like what about but, like Star Trek? Because like I mean, that's isn't that like a a big, um, ah, like because isn't well, that's a great. Yeah, topic. I mean, like uh, if you see people show up at a Star Trek convention, they feel very, like that world feels very real to them. Yes, and that and and there's two things I think that make it feel that way. So one is that um, Star Trek, especially you know original series and Next Generation, was was episodic, right? So you had this this similar structure to a sitcom in that you had this kind of reset. You always had this reset and even, you know, and maybe small things would change, but the, the structure of the show never really went through any radical transformation. But the more important part is that, that Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek even said, well, he didn't structure the show around a real military structure. He structured it around the family structure. Everybody played a, a role you know, like you would in an ext- in a in a large family, mm-hmm. not like you would in a military organization or even a workplace. It doesn't feel like a workplace. You know, I'm I'm going to counter what you just said there by saying that I went to, and I I don't think it was the best uh, one I've ever been to, but I did go to a few years ago at Fosdem a keynote by Larry Wall. And I was telling my friend, yeah, show up to this keynote by Larry Wall. It's so great. Yeah, like he's like he, he's like such a funny speaker. Um, you're, you're going to enjoy it. And then we show up there and he just talked about Lord of the Rings the whole time and how we all felt connected to Frodo and Bilbo and blah, 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 and their journeys and how, and like, and I was like, what, this is like, I, I, and my friend was just staring at me like, what talk did you just bring me to? Right. So like, I mean, do you think that level of familiarity really may vary though, depending on what your immersion is in it? That might be. I, I I guess what I would say is, but you, but you didn't bring. You brought up was is world building the same as connection and familiarity? And I would say that world building alone isn't. There has to be an emotional resonance mm, to it. And, and I would even say repetition. And you know the thing about the thing about someone like you know a, a Stephen Colbert or maybe or apparently a Larry Wall is that that, that they've that they're very familiar with this material that, I mean, if you only read it once, you don't feel, you know, you don't feel it's familiar. You might, you might feel an emotional resonance. Well, this, this um, is one reason I was really glad that we had on David, uh, Revoir or Revoy, uh, the, on, on our, our previous episode is that one thing I really appreciate about pepper and carrot is it's a pretty rare example of what we've had so far of kind of an ongoing, amount of world building and and you know even as you say kind of building up of that familiarity like enough exposure to it starts to feel like something coherent right and i i we i would like to see 
more of that in the free cultural slash free software space, especially the intersection of that. I'd say games are a good example of an intersection of both free software and free culture. But we we haven't really seen that much of that kind of um, cultural continuation of a sense of space in free software, I feel like. Yeah, and we haven't and we haven't seen something that you do see in these proprietary games oddly, which is a ton of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you you know, we, you, where you have, um, you know, some of them are by design. You know, Grail, as you pointed out, had just all people working on it and modding it. Um, I mean, you did have that in Lambda Moo and other muds. You absolutely had tons of that, but you know, there is a gigantic community of modders and people that are modifying proprietary games. Um, and, and I, and every time I see that, I'm like, why, why aren't they with us? Like, why aren't they working on our stuff? You know, in, instead of, instead of making a proprietary game better, why aren't they making our world, you know, our game better, uh, our games better. And I think that I, I think we need to, we in the free software community need to be drawing those people in so that they want to be spending time modding and updating our stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that I can't think of too many examples of it. I can think of a few examples. I think that Wesnoth and Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup are really the only ones that are jumping to the top of my mind where I'm like, wow, like I'm really seeing like a forum of people sharing ideas and and collaborating and building things. Um, free sieve, free sieve. Um, they, there is too, but it's, you're right. It's not, as it's, big. it's not as big. It, we'd love to see more of it. Or and, trains, and, uh, open TTV. And in some ways it, is, it is, feels yeah. like it should be in our wheelhouse, right? Because like, it is that way for developing software in some uh, often, right? Like, you know, like, Oh, right. this looks like a cool community. This looks like a cool project. I want to bring some stuff to it. Um, and I feel like, I feel like free software has done it more than free culture has. Um, and I, I feel like I agree with you. I agree with you completely. I mean, I guess we, that, that free culture has not, not lived up to its potential as of now of collaboration as a component of free culture is definitely missing. Yeah. And it's not missing everywhere, but we just, it, it just hasn't developed as strongly as we have seen for free software. And, and I'd, I'd like to see more work to that contrary but i think we're hitting we're getting really close to the hour mark um so 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 do you think it's time to wrap it up or do you have anything else that yeah no i mean boy we've talked about a lot um on this episode we talked about uh you know we've talked about gender we've talked about pronouns what on earth is going to be the title of this episode um i think that i think you've just made the title what on earth uh, is the title of this episode Yeah, that's you know, like you've you know those those TV shows and movies where you know you realize that the whole thing is about the creation of the very thing you're watching at the end. Like, what on earth is the title of this episode? Uh, is I think going to have to be uh, the title of this episode. Perfect, perfect. Um, it couldn't be better. So it couldn't be better. So yeah. Um, speaking of collaboration, while we before we sign off, um, just want to remind people that. They can reach us, communicate with us on Hash Libre Lounge on IRC on the Freenode um, network. They can email us podcast at libralounge.org. Um, we don't get very much email. Email is exciting. If you have feedback, 
send that feedback along. And speaking of feedback, this is one I don't usually ask for, but um, it really actually makes a big difference. If you're so, we do not recommend you use proprietary um, podcast aggregators. But I know that a lot of you are using proprietary podcast aggregators. If you are anyway, please review, rate and review the series. Rate and review Libra Lounge. It actually does improve our... Um, it, what it does is improves the ranking, which means that we get more people who might stumble upon this, the show, and that means that they're more likely to keep listening and maybe become free software users or contributors, free culture users or contributors. And that's really important. <laughs> if there are any free ones, um, do that there too. But I'm not really sure if any are active anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good that's a good question. Um, uh, places to, to rate and review um, podcasts. But anywhere you can rate and review podcasts, if you like the show, uh, then please rate and review us. If you don't like the show, and please don't rate and review us. <laughs> Classic um, podcast ending right there. So, um, and then, and you can also find us in the Fediverse. We're at Libra Lounge at Floss.Social. And um, we're also on Twitter at Libra Lounge. So, oh, and of course our website, LibraLounge.org. Um, was there anything else before we go, Chris? Uh, nope. I'm going to go get some rest. <laughs> okay. All right. I think, I think I will do the same. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll talk yeah, again soon. Yeah, it was soon. a lot of fun. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at LibreLounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joff which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on opengameart.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. Thanks for listening. See you next time.